Latin Podcast. I'm Inhara Dowin and as usual I'm joined by Michelle Cairns. Hello. Hi Angarad. Good to Hello. And we're also joined by Chris Peel who's like a long-term friend of YPN and if you I think you were involved in the extra side of stuff as well for a while weren't you? So. Angarad. Yeah yeah I was. I still am actually. Um yeah still happy to obviously help the magazine where i can and uh honored to be a part of the uh, of the podcast as well now yeah so basically anybody who sort of knows ypn should know who you are really <laughs> maybe <laughs> um but this is the first podcast of 2020 that's gone quickly i feel like it was only yesterday that was recorded the first podcast of 2019 but there we are so chris before like we sort of get started into actually talking about what we're going to be talking about can you just give us like a brief background of who you are what you do what you did you know who are you yeah Sure. Okay, cool. Um, massive question. So <laughs> um, who am I? So my name is Chris Peel. Um, I run uh, multiple property businesses, um, each with its own kind of specialism. So um, my main business up until I'd say fairly recently was service departments in London. Now we do still do service departments in London. We still um, are looking to grow that as well. But because we found uh, that certain parts of London weren't working so well as others anymore. Um, we scaled that back a little bit. We focused everything down to our, our core, which is central London tourists. And now anything outside of that, we're looking at a much more direct approach. So we're working with contractors directly and employers directly to provide accommodation for teams they've got coming to the area um, for kind of you know, anything to, from two months to a year and a half. So that's, that's London. Then outside of London, I run uh, multiple HMO businesses. So we have HMOs in Birmingham, Coventry, Bedford and Luton. Um, each of those I work with local joint venture partners that do the local management and I do uh, most of the, I spend most of my time doing the sourcing, um, adding systems to the business to help scale them and raising finance to be able to continue to grow those businesses. Um, and then my, my local joint venture partners do the hands-on work locally, making sure rent's collected, checking tenants in and out, kind of advertising the rooms, that kind of thing. Um, but before all of this, uh, before I kind of, I'd say, set myself free through property, um, I was very much entrenched in the corporate world. So I was, um, after university, I kind of went through the, the corporate motions, got into a grad scheme. Uh, it was actually quite an interesting one at Jaguar Land Rover. Spent three years there working my way uh, up through the grad scheme, got into, kind of got accepted off the grad scheme into a permanent position and then ran it for another couple of years there. And then decided I wanted a bigger challenge. So I moved down to London, uh, got into the really corporate stuff and joined a management consulting company called PwC, who's one of the kind of the big global players in accountancy and, and um, yeah, and consulting uh, and decided that that was going to be my next step. So kind of after about, uh, well, about 18 months of being there, I realized that actually big corporate definitely wasn't what I wanted to do. Um, I spent a lot of time kind of looking at, you know, my peers and myself and, and seeing, you know, everybody talking behind one another's back about who got promoted and who got the pay rise and why it should have been them instead and why they should have had that client and why that person doesn't deserve that thing. And then I kind of realized that I was doing exactly the same. I was becoming somebody that I didn't want to be. Um, and I was working towards a future that I didn't want for myself. You know, I saw the people who were at the top of the company and, and people who I had a lot of respect for as well, um, getting to the place where they'd, they'd, they'd set their career ambitions only to realize that actually they didn't want what they got when they got there because it was so much stress. It was so much hours. So, you know, didn't have time to do the things that they actually loved anymore because, you know, the, their soul belonged to the, to the corporate world. So they didn't get to tuck their kids in at bed to bed at night. They didn't get to follow their passions because their weekends were absorbed with catching up on stuff they didn't get to do with during the week. So it was at kind of that point that I realized actually I needed to do something very, very differently uh, and property was going to be it. Now, I always had a bit of an interest in property from when I was younger, uh, kind of wish I'd taken action sooner on it because I think when I initially wanted to get into property, I was about 18. Um, and I kind of look back and think, oh, imagine if I've been doing this since I was 18, where would I be now? Because I think I started when I was 25. So where would I be if I'd had another seven years of investing in property under my belt? Um, but decided, yeah, I decided that it was very much the route I wanted to go down, decided that corporate definitely wasn't going to be for me anymore. And I had to do something to kind of unlock myself from that. So I started learning about accumulation of assets and passive income and how to grow a business um, and started applying all of the things I'd learned. And within I made, I made the declaration to myself that I was going to be out of, out of the corporate world and into property full time in January, 2016. And I actually left my job in, uh, I think it was August, 2016, 
um, ha- no, sorry, September 2016, having got my first property, uh, no money down completely, cost me 40 quid for my first property um, in July 2016. So it took, after getting my first property, it was two months later that I managed to leave my job. Oh, wow, that is fast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's kind of the power of, of, of some of these strategies. When you combine stuff like uh, rent to rent or lease options or any of these kind of no money down strategies, and mm. you know, I know no money down sometimes gets a kicking on social media as a term. Okay, it wasn't technically no money down, it cost me 40 quid. But if you compare 40 quid, and that was, that was just for a dinner, by the way, for my first property, I bought somebody dinner. Um, there was actually zero investment into the property from myself. But if we can't call 40 quid, no money down, then, you know, what <laughs> it's, mm. it, compared to spending 150 grand on a house, I, I, yeah, I, call, it for, I call it no money down. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you combine stuff like that with massive cash flow strategies like HMOs, like serviced accommodation, then actually to replace your income, even if you've got a decent income and, you know, I was on, I was on a decent income at PwC. I'm not, not ashamed to admit it, but that's kind of a problem in itself because it becomes the golden handcuffs. Mm. Um, but to not replace my income, but get myself comfortable enough to walk away from that job, uh, just took two properties, just two, two deals in London. Uh, I was just sort of like, let's sort of, um, rewind a little bit. So, uh, you, from, from what you just said, you kind of thought, okay, this job isn't for me. I'm going to do something different. Um, how did you find what you needed to do? how did you find out about it and sort of how did you or did you just sort of jump in blindly without really knowing what you were doing uh no not at all no i um because i'd made a declaration to myself that it was this was the way i was going now um i started learning you know i think Mm -hmm. i think investment in yourself is one of the single best investments you can ever make you know a property can pay you a thousand pounds a month pretty consistently if you get it right but investment in yourself and and building on your your own knowledge and self-developing can pay you infinite returns on your investment. So I invested a fair amount in education. Uh, I started attending kind of free seminars where I could. Um, I, you know, I started paying for training where I felt I needed to develop some skills. Um, and I started following the advice um, of coaches and mentors that I got around me. I started networking more. I went to, you know, I went to networking events twice, twice a week, sometimes three times, um, just to try and meet as many people in the industry as I can. Because, you know, there's the old saying that you become the person that you spend the most time with, or you become the average of the five people you spend the mm. most time with rather. Um, well, I, I realized that everyone in my network at that point in time was very much corporate oriented because that's, you know, you make friends where you work, right? So all my friends were very much of the corporate mindset, climb the ladder, you know, hustle, grind, stab everyone in the back that you need to, but get to the top <laughs> of the ladder. Yeah. And I, I kind of realized that I needed to do something different, which meant I needed to surround myself with different people which is where communities and stuff like that become so important. I think it's another reason I'm a big supporter of YPM because I really appreciate the fact that you build a community. And I can remember reading the magazines when I first started in my career, uh, my property career, mm. and being really inspired by other people's stories, being really inspired by the strategies people were talking about and thinking at the time, you know, I'd, I'd love to be featured in that magazine one day. So it was, it was really nice when I was approached <laughs> to actually be featured in the, uh, the edition when I was when we did uh did an interview with jane when i was traveling on my honeymoon um oh it's about 18 months what a way what a way to spend your honeymoon i know yeah (laughs) sat sat in an apartment in an airbnb in uh, dubrovnik (laughs) did a little interview with jane oh you know what i'm going to dubrovnik in um january and i'm going to have to be in that position where i'm taking my work with me well that's the great thing though is again property can kind of allow you to do that because yes there is a physical asset and you do have to be around the physical asset but a lot of the deal is actually done online. You know, once the, mm. once the property is set up, as long as you've got the teams around you and you, you invest in the infrastructure, then you can basically run that business from anywhere. Mm-hmm. So we're running a Thailand retreat at the end of next year. We'll be away for three weeks, but my business isn't going to stop while we're away. For mm. Do you need a press uh, review at all? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. Let's have a chat closer to the oh, time. <laughs> all right, let's do that. <laughs> Um, I'm I not just, joking, by the way. <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> Chris, I just want to go back a little bit because in the article you mentioned about uh, rich dad, poor dad, mm. and how that had an influence. Because, so, you know, I think I'm just thinking from people who are in the corporate job and maybe they, they have or they don't have access to these ideas because yeah. it sounds to me like, you know, you set, you set this intention to be out of work, but, you know, so many people 
are just in that position where they know that the corporate life isn't for them and they feel frustrated, but either they don't know what to do or if they do, there's that fear of, God, you know, can I actually do this and how do I do it? And it, it just, it never happens because they get so um, caught up in the daily life. But what was it that was different that made you, you know, do you think it was the fact that you knew about property from an early age that gave you that, that you know, in your head you had an alternative? Because I think for a lot of people, they just don't have an alternative. They don't know what else they can do. Yeah, I think it's a really good point, Angie Michelle. I, I think I can kind of recognize that in myself as well in that, up until the point where I kind of had that realization that I had to find something different. Um, I think I, I would share the fact that I was very much in that mindset and I didn't really see there being an alternative. You know, my idea of being wealthy was working your way up a corporate ladder and having a salary of 150 grand or something like that. Exactly. Or, so what changed then? What was it about that? Because like I, I've, like you, I've been in that position where it's just, okay, property and rich people were for someone else but for me the only really you know the only path was to go up the corporate ladder so what was it made you think about something different yeah yeah it's a really good question I'm I'm not sure there's necessarily a straight answer to it um I can remember one one particular moment um I used to live in this used to live in this development in North London in Collindale I don't know if you know Collindale at all it's kind of a small zone for London and um, I'd been at PwC for about about a year, I think, and this was quite a nice new development. Like we had a very small flat in it. Uh, I don't want to kind of make out like I was living a luxury lifestyle or anything, but we had a very small flat in this quite nice development. And it came with like a communal gym. And I can remember I was sat, I was sat reading in the pool area because the pool area was like really warm, so you could kind of go for a swim and then sit on the deck chairs and, and read a book for a bit. And I was I was sat in there and I was reading Rich Dad Poor Dad, and I can't remember who put me onto it. I, I honestly can't remember. Someone said, you got to read this book. And, you know, I'm always open to suggestions. So I thought, well, I'll give it a read. And yeah, I think as, as I say in the article, it's, it's very much, it was very much a light bulb moment for me, reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And the, the way that they explain assets and liabilities and the fact that, you know, even your own home is actually a liability because yeah, okay, it might go up in value, but your money's tied up in that. You're paying a mortgage on that. And that's just to support a lifestyle. It's not an investment. It's a lifestyle. Um, and I, I think that was quite a big shift for me because until that, you know, I'm, I come from a family where, you know, homes are investments and that, that mindset pervades there. You know, you, your home is, is one of the biggest, the biggest investments you'll ever make. And I put that in quotes mm-hmm. of in, in inverted commas because it is seen as an investment. But yeah, I think re- reading that book and starting to understand a lot about um, the, the, the costs of, lifestyles and the costs of these liabilities that you introduce into your life and the fact that even people who are higher up the corporate ladder generally aren't wealthy because their lifestyle just expands to match their salary mm. and then you consider the fact that um you know you most people are on what a two-month notice period at work mm. so you know even if you're making 100 grand if you've got a 100 grand lifestyle if you're let go from work your problem is even bigger than if you've got a 20 grand lifestyle Mm. Um, because you've still got that hundred grand lifestyle, but you've got zero income as opposed to, you know, the, the hundred and hundred, 150 grand you had before. So yeah, I really, I'm trying, I recognize I'm not really giving you a straight answer. No, here to I your think question. It, no, it's actually really, um, I think it's really good. Cause I think it, for a lot of people, it is that just being exposed to that idea that a, there's yeah. an alternative, uh, an alternative way of making money. And I think, you know, would you say it was, you had a sort of bigger reason why then, because I read that book and I had the same realization. It was exactly the same for me, really. But I've given that book to lots of people, almost evangelically saying, come with me, you know. You've got to read it. It's a cult. (laughs) (laughs) And I've I've given it to people and they've read it and they've not had the same reaction as as I did approximately. Um, And it it amazes me because I think, oh my God, the answers are here. Mm. Uh, and obviously we've done something different so i'm just curious really okay once reading that book you had to do something different then didn't you you had to act on it and i guess there had to have been a motivation beyond what other people may have yeah so i think my reason why if that's if that's kind of what you're asking is that it's probably changed over time so I'd say, you know, hold my hands up and say my reason why to start with was a very selfish one. It was because I don't like my job um, because I want to be financially free. 
Now that can be incredibly motivating. And yeah. the fact that I really didn't like my job and I really, really, really wanted to get out of it as soon as possible. And I was prepared to do anything to do that um, was incredibly motivating. And I'd say that I made some really great progress in those first few months just off that, you know, selfish motivation because I wanted to do something for me. Now, the thing is when you then achieve that and you leave your job, you don't have a reason anymore. You don't have a purpose. So to actually go out and continue trying to find new houses and do deals and meet investors and go networking and hand out flyers and blah, 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 all the things we know should be doing. Um, it, finding the motivation to do it then, then changes because, well, I've hit my goal now. I'm out of my job. Now what? So I think having, having a reason why and recognizing that it can be flexible and that it can be... Um, it, it can, can be about yourself as well. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't really matter what it is if it... If it does the job and it take, gets you to take action, then... It, it does, but I'm going, to, I'm going to come back to you from a different angle on that one. So if you have a selfish reason why, and it's all about you, who is the single easiest person to make excuses to? Mm. It's yourself, right? So if you're... Motivation... It's like when you're on, like, MyFitnessPal or something, and you're, right. like, supposed to be logging your food, but you, like, conveniently forget to log that giant chocolate exactly. bar after, after dinner. We've all done it. We've all done it. <laughs> <laughs> so so when, I'm, when I'm coaching people now... I, I really encourage people to actually think about things beyond themselves because yes, it can be incredibly motivating to have a, a, a selfish reason why, a reason why about yourself. Um, but I think reasons why and a, a motivation for doing something that's much larger than yourself is harder to make excuses about. So I'll give you an example. So I'm, I'm very passionate about protecting the environment. I'm very passionate about reforestation and prevention of deforestation. So, I like to give a lot of money each year to anti-deforestation charities like the Woodland Trust and uh, reforest reforestation charities that repopulate areas of the planet with trees. Um, I also grow my own trees. Now, I know that if I don't hit a certain amount of money, I can't afford to fund those charities. And that's a much kind of deeper reason why than I want a new car. Mm -hmm. um, because it's, you know, I could say to myself, well, I do want a new car, but if I get it next month, it doesn't really make a difference as if I make it, get it this month. Whereas because I'm so passionate about something like climate change and prevention of it and, you know, protection of the environment, I don't want to wait a month for that. I, you know, I want to, I want to make a difference to that cause now. And to mm -hmm. do that, I've got to have the income from that business. Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense. Yeah. It's almost like another way of looking at it is, um, a sort of moving away from goal and moving towards from goal so you might have initially started yeah. by saying i want to move away want to move away from work and the job and the you know being tied to that and now you're in a position where okay that's that's tick that box and now you're moving towards something else so yeah, yeah. i think it's important as well uh sort of touching on that to like figure out which which way motivates you yeah. best because yeah. i'm i'm very much a towards so unless you know away from i'm not I, I doesn't bother me because like right now i'm fine but like yeah. if i need something to work towards yeah. and whereas some people need to run away from something yeah i think knowing that about yourself is like quite a big thing to realize yes 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 an interesting way of, look, of putting it actually i like that cool one of my questions you were sort of talking about like when you do quit or when you have managed to replace your income mm. and it, I guess you've got to try and figure out like where to go now. How difficult was it for you to sort of go, Oh, I've achieved my dream now. And now I technically don't have a reason to get out of bed anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is a weird mindset shift. Um, I can remember doing it and the, the day after I quit my job, I basically didn't do anything. Um, mm. I was just like, I've earned this. I'm going to have the day off. I'm doing nothing today. This is brilliant. And then you wake up the next day. And it's like, well, I should probably do something now. Yeah. <laughs> what, but, what do but I do? What? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, as long as you've got a system and a process to follow, you kind of know what the next steps are. And that's why whenever we're delivering our training, it's always very much sequential. And like, you just follow the steps. We make it as easy as possible so that when people get into that, that space where they're like, well, what do I do next? Well, it's like we just follow the next step. Um, so kind of, I suppose just going back to that, that period of life, I just carried on following the steps, to be honest. Like I, it was the biggest challenge was finding the motivation to do so and realizing why I was doing it now. Because yeah, like I say, everything up until that point had been geared towards 
get out, get out, get out, get out. Um, whereas now I had to find a new purpose. And I had to kind of, you know, there there's some great exercises you can do like, that a lot of personal development people will talk about where you just sit down and just figure out what's important to you. What do you care about? You know, what do you want to give your time to? Uh, what do you want to be? What do you want the purpose of your existence to be? And a great way of putting it is what, what do you want to have written on your tombstone at the end of your life? I know it's a bit morbid to think about, but <laughs> is it, you know, what, what better way to think about how to live your life than to start with the end in mind? Now, what do you want to be remembered for? What do you want that legacy to be? And that's a great way to figure out actually, well, now if I've hit my purpose, that was my purpose up until this point, it's a great exercise to do and just kind of take 15, 20 minutes and just give it some thought and just go into yourself and, and realize actually what, what is it you care about? What do you want to be remembered for? And then your, your, your next step will become clear because you know, you can ask yourself the question, does this move me towards my goal? Yes or no. And it becomes a very simple path. You know, does, does me going out and getting absolutely hammered on a Friday night serve my purpose? Well, no, it doesn't, but I also like to have fun. So, <laughs> so I'll probably do it, but limited. I won't do it every single Friday anymore because I know that on Saturday I want to go and volunteer some time at the local charity or something like that. So you, as long as you have that clarity of vision and that clarity of purpose, I think you're, it will make it a lot easier for people to kind of figure out what their next steps are um, and just make sure that you have a system to follow so that you can kind of follow the practical steps for property investment. Mm-hmm. There's, a, uh, there's an article in the November magazine actually on this and they call it the dizziness of freedom, that moment where you kind of, you've met, you've reached that goal of financial freedom. And it's now yeah. So it's worth checking that out if anyone's at that point. Very, you know, it's a great place to be. It's what, you know, we will, I suppose, aspire to. Um, I just want to go back because obviously, you know, Chris, you've achieved, you know, a phenomenal amount in relatively short time and you've got you know your business up and running now and uh you systemized a lot of it but you know in the sort of early days to you know sort of bring it back to our our listeners a lot of people who will be thinking okay you started out in the corporate world you made the leap and you know and here you are today but mm-hmm. i mean would you sort of say that there was you know that that transition period what was that like in terms of getting things set up and sort of how hard did you find it or maybe maybe you found it easy how did you sort of keep going through that because that's a point where a lot of people feel it's too hard and maybe they go back to the day job yeah yeah i guess so like yeah so for a lot of people listening i guess they'll be at that point where they know that they want to invest in property but they've got a full-time job and they're struggling time-wise maybe yeah so yeah really good question actually so um you know i wish there was kind of a magic wand answer um but unfortunately it just took a bit of work um, That's great. No, just we're just interested in what you did, how yeah. you found it, basically. So, I guess just to kind of paint a little picture of where I was and what I was doing at that kind of time. So, um, at PwC, a lot of the work was involving kind of going to a client site and spending the week there. So it kind of made it compounded that effect of having to or not being in my local patch, not being in the area that I wanted to invest because I was away. Um, Monday to Friday most weeks uh, and sometimes Monday to Thursday so I'd have Friday in the office in London um, so what did I do um, well I made the most of the time I had so I would do my full day's work uh, I'd then go back to our hotel where we'd be staying um, as a team but instead of going to the hotel bar with the rest of the team I decided I was going to spend my time learning about property so I'd listen to podcasts I'd read articles online um, you know, I'd join Facebook communities like the Property Abundance Community and learn from the people in there. Um, so I, I spent my time wisely instead of kind of just following what everyone else was doing. So everyone in the corporate mindset was you go back from the, you get back from the, uh, the office or the, the client's office, you get back to the hotel, you probably go and have a drink at the bar and then maybe have, end up having a couple of drinks at the bar. Um, that's the consultant lifestyle. Um, and then you have dinner somewhere. So instead of that, I kind of, I suppose, what, what's the worst? Ostracized myself a bit. Um, and I've told the rest of the guys, like, go to the bar, have fun. Like, I'm, I'm not going to join you tonight. I've got something to do. So that became my new routine. Like, evenings were reclaimed as my learning time, my, my, my dedicated time. And then on Thursdays, I tend to come back as early as possible on the train and try and get to a networking event um, to start meeting people in my local area that were, that were in property. Um, and that's kind of where my first deal came from actually was actually at a networking event 
Um, I don't know if you've heard of pin events, but if you haven't, check mm. them out. They're really good. You get to do a 20-second pitch, which I think is probably one of my favorite things about them. Um, because what better way to spread your message than to stand at the front of the room and talk to 100 people? And yes, it's scary. And yes, it kind of requires a bit of a, a stretch in terms of your comfort zone. But it's the, the single most effective way of getting your message out to that entire room. Because imagine trying to walk around and shake every single person's hand. Um, and, and introduce yourself and get your message across. Well, it'd take all night. And you probably what was wouldn't your message? Do it. Oh, good question. It was, some, <laughs> it was something I wasn't very happy with um, afterwards. I think if I remember rightly, I said something like, and bear in mind, this is like four years ago now. Um, it was something like, uh, my, my name, yeah, my name's Chris Peel, I'm based in London and uh, wanted to uh, rent to rent and source, I'm sourcing in, in Watford and time's up. <laughs> <laughs> and I walked off that stage and I was like, ah, oh, shit, that went really badly. <laughs> well done it. Well done it. Yeah, but you know what? It got me my first deal because at but the break, yeah, someone I came just, up to me and said, you, you want to do rent to rent? I'm, I'm interested in working with you. So it doesn't have to be a polished, you know, no. you know, well, kind of, I mean, yeah, great if you, if you can have it. But I want to make the point that you just stood up and did it mm. and something happened from that. So exactly. it doesn't matter how how nervous you are and I I, to honest, I have the same feeling every month when I go I think oh god am I really going to do this again but you know you just force yourself to do it and then you'd be amazed at the results and just you know so tell us about the results from from that time then yeah yeah I 100% agree with you um so from from that time uh met a landlord in North London also kind of got a few people's contact details who wanted me to source properties for them it kind of never really went anywhere but um you know, I suppose at the time I looked at that as a win as well. Um, but the, the person I met in North London had a portfolio of properties, not just one. I think he had seven or eight. Um, and we, the following day, we met for dinner, uh, which is where my £40 investment came from. I paid for dinner. Then the morning after that, we were basically at the dinner. We agreed head to terms for how we were going to work. And we were going to work as a joint venture. Uh, he wanted to do service accommodation on his properties. I told him I knew how to do that. Um, we, I feel uh, like that's a little bit lying on your CV. Oh yeah, I told you how to do that. Yeah, yeah. Play to your strengths. Play to your strengths. <laughs> yeah. so, exactly. I, I yeah. I, I told him I was willing to do that. Um, and uh, then yeah. So basically, over dinner, we agreed the heads of terms how it was going to work. I was going to basically do everything. He was going to provide the property. I'd market it. I'd worry about the tenants. I'd worry about the changeovers, the cleaning, the linen, the blah, 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 the payments and all that. Um, and he would basically collect 70% of the profit from the venture and I'd collect 30. Now, I don't do that kind of deal anymore. Now, if I joint venture with the landlord, it's 50-50 on the uplift. Um, but it was my first deal. Um, so, you know, I was happy to take a lesser amount because it, it got my first deal over the line. And 90% of the learning and the effort and the, the tears and the blood and the sweat goes into getting that first deal. Mm. The second one comes um, so much faster. Thirty percent is better than nothing, and it is better yeah. than where you were like two days prior. Yeah, yeah, and that thirty percent equated to about six hundred and fifty quid a month, which isn't to be sniffed at. <laughs> well, no, I mean I can't remember the last time I had a pay rise that paid me an extra six hundred and fifty quid a exactly. month at work. So yeah, it wasn't life changing sums of money. It was you know it's probably about what six grand a year, something like mm. that, but maybe a little bit more. But um, you know, when did you last get a six grand pay rise doing, mm. doing a job yeah, in a day? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that then led on to the second deal because he was so happy with how we'd done the first one. He offered me the second one, which was, a, again, a central London property, a two bedroom apartment in Bayswater. Uh, and that one we did on a straight rent to rent. He didn't want a joint venture on that one. He just wanted to rent it out to me and let me do my thing. Um, and that one earned about 1200 to 1300 on pretty consistently every month. So two, two deals. And it pretty much got two grand a month coming in. Now, I hadn't replaced my salary because, like I say, I was on a pretty decent salary at PwC. But I knew that I could live on two grand a month. I knew I could cut my salary and I knew I could live on two grand a month. So um, a question I get asked quite a lot is, well, if you were working away, how did you have time to set up the properties? And again, like it comes back to that having made a commitment. So, you know, holiday days, people view holiday days as precious and sacrosanct. And I speak to so many people who say, oh, I can't go to a training event because I've got, you know, I've only got so many holiday days. 
as I will come to the training event, you won't need to worry about holiday days ever again. <laughs> it's the same thing with setting up the property. I knew that I was getting out of my job. So because that was just the decision. It was, there was no alternative. I was getting out of my job so I wouldn't have to worry about holiday days. So I spent my first week setting up the first property, used all my holiday days. In the second week, I'd run out of holiday days. So I pulled a sickie. Um, <laughs> happy to admit it. I, I, I wasn't bothered about being promoted anymore. I wasn't bothered mm. about what happens if I get fired anymore. I was, I was working towards a goal. Um, so I guess you've got to have a bit of a do what it takes mentality and, and, and look at the bigger picture. And, you know, sometimes, yeah, like, this holiday thing, it really gets me because <laughs> so many times I've heard people say, oh, I, I couldn't set up that property because I've, I've only got 21 holiday days. We'll set up that property. You won't need 21 holiday days. You'll have as many as you want. <laughs> so, you know, you said that you've got to have a do what it, you know, do what it takes mentality. And I completely agree with that. Um, what about the next stage? So you start with the do what it takes, you get it up and running, and then you come into, you know, all of these sort of challenges that come with property. Mm. You know, how do you deal with that kind of, I think it's more than motivation because, you know, okay, you can motivate yourself, get up in the morning, but when there's like real setbacks or maybe financial issues, mm -hmm. or, you know, you, you're on a new deal and all the money's just flooding out and you're like, oh my God, you know, what do you sort of say to yourself at those times or what do you do to get yourself through those? Yeah, good question. I think, I think it's one of those things that actually never goes away. You know, we still have t moments now where I'm like, should I really be doing this deal? Yeah. Um, for example, right now I've got a deal going through where it's a 15 bed, well, it's actually three, five bed apartments stacked on top of each other. Um, and we're turning it into an 18 bed HMO. Um, it's, it's going to cost quite a lot to do. And I think mm. as long as you recognize that you've got to kind of, uh, I coined the term, I can't remember who said it, but someone said, feel the fear and do it anyway. Yeah. And as long as you've done your numbers and you know the numbers stack, and this is, this is where a lot of people do fall down, by the way, they, they, they gloss over the analysis part or people can get so desperate for that first or second deal that they'll kind of manipulate numbers to make it look good on paper. You know, stick to the rules. Like if the market rate for a double room in that area is 450 pounds a month, don't put 500 pounds a month mm -hmm. because you'll somehow get more, you know, the market rate's the market rate. Yeah, you could get more if you decorate it really nicely and you do a great job of the sales process, but just stick to the fundamentals. And if your market rate's 450 pounds a month, if your market rate for a service department um, that can accommodate four people is 100 pounds a night, it's 100 pounds a night. Don't try and stick 200 pounds a night into your analysis just to make the deal work because you want to do a deal. Um, so I think recognizing that you're going to be scared, recognizing that you're going to feel moments where you see like 10 grand go out of your account um but know that you've done your analysis you've done your work and you're prepared to do the work to get that back um i think you, you kind of just have to put put some faith in the system it's worked for hundreds of people before you um it's worked for myself it's worked for you guys like you you, you know you know the system works mm. um as long as you've done your analysis i think you just need to kind of crack on <laughs> Is, is the best way I can put it and just, just recognize mm. that money goes out, but it will come back as long as you've done the work right. Yeah. And on the flip side, I know that I suffer from this is like overanalyzing. Mm -hmm. So I'll sort of, you know, I'll study the numbers. Yeah. I'm not very good at numbers, but I will go down then I go, Oh, you know, no, no, that's not going to work. You know, what if I don't get that? Oh no, that's not. And then I just sort of end up going, you know what? No, I just won't do it. <laughs> so I actually that's have some where really I struggle with. <laughs> We have some really clear kind of test criteria for our, our investments. I'm happy to share those with you. Um, so if you're listening on the podcast, you might want to grab a pen and paper because um, these have served me pretty well over the last four years. Um, so if I'm testing a rent to rent HMO, it has to be a yes to the following four criteria. Now watch me forget them all. <laughs> <laughs> Number one, um, when analyzing the deal and using just kind of market rates, um, can I make at least... 500 pounds a month from the property so that's regardless that's not of size per room, is it no no that's for, that's the property whether it's a 12 bed or a two bed or a five bed or whatever does it make at least 500 pounds a month now where we bring that size equation in because you wouldn't want to manage a 12 bed property for only 500 quid a month mm. is profitability per room so does it make at least 125 pounds profit per room per month so then like if it's a four bed you know that I'm, if I'm making 500 quid a month, I'm fine from a four bed. That's all right. Um, but if it's a 12 bed, 
then it needs to be significantly more because obviously there's more management work. Uh, then we have, does it repay its investment within at least 12 months? Sorry, at most 12 months. So I want a hundred percent return on my investment within the first year if it's rent to rent, because obviously I don't own the assets. So I want my money back quickly now, ideally, and actually kind of at the moment, because we have a lot of deals on our plate, we've tightened that up and I've said eight months because you know, we've got a lot of deals on the table right now. So I just need to be a bit more picky about them. So I only want the ones that are going to pay back super fast. And then finally, if I've got a room empty or a non-paying room, uh, do I still make a profit? So, you know, am I, am I not losing money when I've got an empty room slash somebody not paying their rent? Just one empty room. So say if you had a six room. bed. Yeah, but it's got to be a yes on all of those criteria. Okay. So mm -hmm. the six bed would be caught within the profitability per yeah. room catch. Okay. okay. Cool. Thank you. Um, I've got sort of like a slightly personal question and you can sort of like choose not to answer it if you want. <laughs> when you were sort of going through this process, were you sort of considering another half or, you know, were you in a relationship at the time? Did you have to think about another party <laughs> when sort of going through the process of trying to replace your income? Or so it's, it's, it's an interesting you, question. You know? no, I, I was in a relationship and I still am, thankfully. <laughs> now, it's a two-part answer because I probably should have considered it more. <laughs> <laughs> but there, there was somebody to consider, but I probably didn't consider them as much as I should have. Mm -hmm. um, so luckily, I'm, I'm blessed with an amazing partner. Yanka's absolutely like an angel. Um, and just blindly supported me through the process and said, look, if this is what you want to do, I'm behind you. I don't get what you're doing. I don't get it, but you're doing it. You want to make this change. You're not happy doing your job. Fine. Crack on. Mm. So I kind of just got on with it. And then it wasn't until probably about maybe eight months into the journey that she kind of got on board with it um, and kind of started working in the business with me. Um, dealing Started off just kind of doing some admin bits for me, kind of um, sorting out receipts and that kind of thing. Um, now she's our ops manager because, because we've grown, she's developed into the role of ops manager. She manages our team in London. She manages the cleaning teams and, um, make sure that everyone knows where they need to be kind of our team on the ground are in the right places. Um, so yeah, I think for anyone who's kind of listening and, and if you do have partners, um, I really encourage you to try and get them engaged as early as possible, but also recognize the fact that sometimes people don't get it, uh, and don't let somebody else's opinions determine your success. So we, we have people come to our training courses all the times and we have somebody on our mentorship program right now. I won't name them or anything, but they, they, they joined our program and they, they quoted something really nice to us. It was like, my, my partner doesn't get it, but they said um, that I'm going to be the only determinant of my own success. I'm not going to let other people's opinions determine my success. And you know what? She's gone on to get her first deal. And now the husband miraculously is on board with the idea. So, Yes, involve them as much as possible, but recognize that sometimes people don't get it. And it can be the people closest to you that can have the biggest impact because, you know, you don't want to ignore the opinions of your parents or your wife or your, your husband or your kids. You know, it's, they're, they're the people that you care most about. But at the same time, they may not have read the book that you read that made that light bulb moment come on. They may not have been in that seminar where you got a light bulb moment and decided, you know what you've got to do. They may not have had the conversation with the agent where they offered you the 10 bed property for just a thousand pounds a month, whatever that you know, they, you've got to recognize that they don't have the full picture that you have. So if they're on board and you can get them on board, great, but don't let them being on board or not determine whether you're successful in property. Yeah. And I always think mm -hmm. as much as, you know, they, they're, they're just looking out to get, they're looking out for you and want to care for you and make sure that, you know, you're not going to make a mistake or anything, but you, I just think, do I want their results? So do I want to be like financially in the position that they are? Yeah. And if I do, well then I might entertain their opinion <laughs> yeah. in, but actually if they're in a position that i don't want to be in then you just have to do think that don't you, you yeah exactly we we, mm. we coined that exactly as you just described we coined that are they qualified to have to give me their opinion mm, good i like that because one. you know if someone if someone if i'm going to take business advice from someone and it's branson yeah. you know i'm probably going to listen to the advice mm. because he's qualified if it's the guy propping up the bar down the pub every night and he's telling me how to run a business, I'm probably not going to take his advice because he's not qualified to, to give me his opinion yeah. because he doesn't have the results. So yeah, I really agree with what you said there, Michelle. It's just, that's just how we coin it. Are they, is somebody qualified to give you their opinion on that? Mm, I think that works for every stage of life as well. <laughs> yeah. 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 Someone wants to give you advice on childcare and they've never picked up a book or had a kid, you know, are they, are they qualified <laughs> to give you the advice? You know, if somebody's, 
want to teach you how to drive, but they've got no license themselves. Are they qualified? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so is there anything that, you know, over your uh, investing career, if you like, um, that, you know, you sort of, anything you've, you felt like that has been, has not gone to plan, oh, but yeah, either you've learned from it, it's ended up like a positive or you've, you know, you've kind of developed some skill because of it, like resilience or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, as with anyone in business, like, stuff happens all the time. You know, the, I think the, the important thing is what you do about it. You know, you can't necessarily control how every outcome or how every situation will come out, but you can control how you react to that. Now, a lot of people, if they have a setback, especially early in a career, like if there's a property career could retreat into their shell if they lose some money early on that could say well look i try property it doesn't work and that i think that's the biggest loss is if people allow the 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 failure and i put failure in inverted commas because you know it's it's only a failure if you give up at that point you know if you don't give up on something you can't fail at it because you keep going until you make a success of it Mm. Um, there's so many strategies that there's like there is no one size fits all either so just because you tried one thing and that didn't work that just means that that one thing didn't work for you yeah but also i i, I agree with what you're saying but i think every strategy out there that people talk about works it's just mm. maybe you didn't make it work that time mm. so what can you do differently next time mm. um you know if someone tries rent to rent and it doesn't work for them on the first deal well then okay what did you do wrong did you get the numbers wrong? Did you not test the demand in the area? What, you know, what, what did you do wrong that you could do differently next time? I don't think, I don't think strategy hopping is a great idea um, because every strategy requires a, a pretty different business model. So when I started out, I did service accommodation and I just did service accommodation. That was it. And I, I credit a lot of our quick growth to the fact that we were very focused and we said, right, we're doing rent to rent, service accommodation in London. That's our niche, nothing else. Don't want to be here about Glasgow. Don't want to hear about Edinburgh. Don't want to hear about Liverpool. Rent to rent service combination in London. That's all I'm looking for. And we scaled up pretty quickly to about 12 properties. And only at that point, when we then put some software in place, got a team around us, um, and then started running it with a team, did I then start to look at other opportunities. And that's when uh, my, my joint venture, Toby, uh, and I got together in Bedford and started to work together in Bedford. Um, and now we've scaled that business up to around 14 HMOs at the moment. And if this latest deal comes off, it'll go up to 17. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but again, all Toby and I do together is HMOs in Bedford. It's, it's all we do. Now we're at the point now where we're starting to look at other options and we're starting to look at maybe introducing some service accommodation up there. But because all we've done until now is HMOs and Bedford, scaling becomes very easy mm. because every agent that you speak to knows what you're looking for. What sort of challenges, <laughs> yeah. Um, so what sort of challenges do you think people should expect mm. and what would your advice be to them? Okay, so are we talking as if, if they're just following a rent-to-rent strategy? Yeah, or- I suppose that any sort of, yeah, property in general, I suppose. What kind of comes up and, you know, people for example when something happens and and i say well this has happened and people are kind of like you know especially people outside the property world they're they're like oh my god that you know that's you know it's terrible or you know the tenant hasn't paid or whatever and i was like and i say well yeah it's it's really annoying but this is bound to happen i expected Mm -hmm. this to happen so so you sort of manage your discipline your disappointment or something like that (laughs) yeah cool all right yeah good question okay so i think you've hit on a really big one there at some point you will get the tenant who doesn't pay. I kind of add an anecdote in for you because we, we had a really bad one um, who wouldn't pay and wouldn't leave um, and basically dragged out the process as long as possible through the courts until the bailiffs had to drag him kicking and screaming out of the house. But it took about six to eight months. I forget the exact amount of time. What's yours? It's about £4,000 in lost rent from that room. So it must be eight months because he was paying £500 a month but an eight month process to be able to get people out. And, you know, it had a knock on effect to the rest of the house because he became a bad tenant. He kind of became the, the bad apple in the car and it made the other tenants start getting annoyed about stuff. Now, luckily we didn't actually lose any of the other tenants, but we had a room that wasn't paying for eight months. Um, you know, we can try and recover that money, but you know, you never know how that's going to go. So we're following the legal processes to try and recover the money. But um, yeah, you've got to accept the fact that at some point there is going to be a tenancy issue. Now, I suppose the biggest mistake you could make would be to let that fear of having a bad tenant prevent you from taking action in the first place. 
Because if I look at it, that's happened once to me in the whole four years. Mm-hmm. And we have, I think we've got about 150 tenants in our HMOs mm-hmm. around the various towns. So one out of 150 over four years, so the, including all the churn, and people probably move out every year. So that's what, about 450 tenants that we've had. And one of them has been really bad. So yes, it's going to happen. You know, get the help of a coach and mentor because they'll be able to guide you through the process when it does happen. But don't ever let it stop you from taking action in property because the rewards are far superior to the issues. Now, that's one example. So many, so many issues that we've overcome over the years. So I guess another really painful one is if you have to ever give a property back. That, that's a really painful one. Now, has it happened to me? Yeah, like multiple times. One of our properties in London started off really, really well as a service department. And we were probably making about 900 to 1,000 pounds a month on it average throughout the year and then just as time went by um we started to it started to deteriorate and it started to deteriorate and it started to deteriorate and all of a sudden what had made it so great wasn't it was you know it's barely breaking even and in winter it was losing me money and that was a very painful moment to go well what am i doing wrong why is it now losing money when before it's making so much what have i done wrong and Mm. just the market had changed and, you know, that's uh, what's the lesson here? Well, it's have flexibility and break clauses in your contracts if you're doing rent to rent, because then if that if it does happen, the market changes in your area, you can still get out. So, yeah, we got out and it didn't cost us too much, but, you know, it's a painful. It feels, it feels like you're taking a step back in your journey. And I think you just have to be really logical and take the emotion out of the decision because giving a property back feels like you're losing it feels like you've done something wrong and you've taken a step back in your journey and you're shrinking and also you're losing that income that you were used to sure sure but if it's losing your money then actually you're doing yourself a favor to give it back and you've got to look at the bigger picture and like if you get rid of that one you know you'll get your deposit back you still got your furniture you can probably go and do a different one uh, that will make you money but um i think yeah one of the biggest lessons for me is like not getting emotionally attached to property um, and it can be an emotive thing, especially here in England, because we are very property oriented as a nation. Um, you know, everyone takes pride in their home and, and, you know, property investments, almost a national part time here, isn't it? So, um, you know, it's quite an emotive subject, but you just got to recognize that, that these houses are investment tools. And if it's not returning what you need it to, then you've got to do something about that. You know, when you said, you know, at one point, okay, it wasn't, um, it was losing money. You know, was that the point where you decided, right, we've got to get rid of this right now? Or, or you know, did you try and make it work in a different way? Perhaps, I don't know, just trying something different to keep hold of it? Yeah, and great maybe- question. So we, 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 actually, um, we, we actually invest a lot into trying to find better ways of marketing it, which had a, consequently, actually, this one bad property had a really great knock-on effect to the rest of our SA because we were like, right, we need to find better ways of marketing this property. What other websites can we use? What other you know, direct methods can we use? And so we started implementing a load of extra stuff. So the whole business grew, even though we had to lose one property because we, because we tried to solve the problem, I guess, before just handing it back. But unfortunately, even that didn't work. So we had to give that one back. But the rest of the business benefited from the fact that we'd brought in these new processes, we'd brought in these new marketing channels um so yeah it was actually turned out to be quite a good thing i think um going back to sort of saying about the fear of something stopping you going for it i think a lot of people are sort of afraid that by going into property and trying to replace their income that they're maybe going to end up sort of replacing their job with another job Mm -hmm. so so um i don't know if that's how you felt a little bit or if that's was the case for you but sort of what kind of advice would you give people who that is one of their fears yeah great okay so I I don't think I would I don't think that was one of my fears at the time um I don't think I thought that I'd be doing a new job um however I I do run into a lot of people who have this fear uh, and I think it's valid because if you don't do it right you will create another job for yourself Uh, and I very much fell into this trap even though it wasn't something I was afraid of I did fall into this trap myself. And when we scaled to about 10 properties, you know, 10 service departments, I didn't have a single process in place. I didn't have a channel manager. So, yes. and to start with, I was only advertising. Consuming. Oh, tell me about it. So 
I would be stressed out and I'd wake up in the morning, pick up my phone and it's like, ah, right, three bookings. So go into Airbnb and block out those dates, those dates, those dates because they mm-hmm. come from booking.com. We've had this come from Airbnb. So I need to go into booking.com and block out those dates, those dates, those dates. And ah, shit, I've got a double booking. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was pretty stressful. So it's kind of a, a horrible start to the day is rolling over, looking at my phone and then trying to block out dates really quickly. How much stress coffee? I can't even... <laughs> I can't even think before a coffee, let alone do all of that. Imagine. So that's how not to do it. (laughs) Um, At what point did that change? So how much stress did you need to have before you thought, wow, I really need to change this? I think the thing is, I just, I hadn't really thought about it. So I didn't didn't know that channel managers existed. Yeah, right. Okay. I didn't know that. Well, yeah, that. (laughs) I didn't know that I could hire a team, um, which I should have done. You know, I should, I should have realized that I, you know did a degree in business management i should realize that this stuff um but the yeah i think i think at 10 properties that's when we got our first channel manager and it changed a lot and just going from there we started to look at the processes and look at the systems and this is really the key to creating financial freedom rather than a very well-paid job mm-hmm. in property is investment in systems and people so you know we have a team in london we have a team of eight cleaners um managed by um, a single head of housekeeping. Uh, we have a team of two customer service guys who are uh, just kind of ones available during the week and ones available at weekends. We have a couple of maintenance people, again, that just get coordinated by the customer service guys. So it's actually now because I spent this time systemizing stuff and figuring out what I can automate and how everything works and creating manuals for it. So that if my team in the customer care, customer care team get a call saying, the drains blocked in the in the bathroom they know what to do well it's like okay well firstly try and problem solve it over the phone okay check under the sink there's a bottle of bleach have you chucked that down it no okay chuck that down it if it doesn't resolve it give it a call back okay it didn't resolve it right next step step two um uh, can you send me a video of it or can you mm-hmm. facetime with me and we'll we'll have a look at it you know step three they'll go out and physically be at the property and see if it's something that they can fix and if not they'll call a plumber in straight there Right, one of our maintenance team, they'll just call them straight in. So having a process manual for how you want every part of your business to operate is not necessarily important when you're doing one or two deals. So I feel like this is kind of the next level problem. So when you're doing your first deal, you don't really need to worry about this stuff, but bear it in mind for when you're growing. But when you get up to 10 plus properties, you need these processes in place. You need to decide how's your business running? How does every step of the business run? Create documents that show that, checklists and this kind of thing, scripts for your team, um, and then have that available so that you don't have to get stuck in. And, you know, I don't generally touch my service accommodation business that much in, from an operations point of view anymore. You know, I'm still working on uh, developing the sales side and I'm still working with our sales team to, um, to build more relationships with, you know, building companies and local big employers, people who have got people traveling to the areas. Uh, but I don't really get involved in the operational side because it's not my strength. You know, it's not where it's, it's another, it's kind of another big challenge you have when you're growing a business is you've got to realize when you've got to let go of certain stuff and, and delegate the right stuff at the right time. Because if you spend the rest of your time, you know, doing tenant check-ins or um, responding to maintenance problems yourself, because you want to save the 50 quid call out charge, you're just going to restrict your growth and you've got to know when you're going to empower your teams and give them a clear process, but then give them the freedom to actually follow that process to allow you to step back and focus on the higher value stuff. The things like mm-hmm. finding the next JV partner, things like finding the next property, meeting the next agent, getting the next big employment contract, uh, sorry, accommodation contract for employees. Going back to when you were doing everything on your own, in hindsight, what would you have done? What, would you, what system would you have brought in first to make things a bit easier, had you have known about them? So because it's service accommodation, um 100% channel manager from day one from day one yeah 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 because you know if you even with one property if you want to make the most of the marketing there's like 350 different sites you can advertise on now are you really going to go and block out 350 different calendars no Mm. so a channel manager and you know most of them are um volume oriented pricing so if you've got one property it's not going to cost you very much maybe 20 quid a month but then every unit you add on, you pay an extra X amount per month. So it's, a, it's, a, it's almost like a variable cost. So you can get one pretty inexpensively. Um, I use Tokeet. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. It's not that great. Um, there are others that do more stuff, more functionality, but it kind of works for what we're doing at the moment. 
but yeah, definitely get that in place from day one because the last thing you need is to get double booked and because it's a, it's, it's stressful and B it's expensive. Um, so yeah, definitely, definitely a great investment in time uh, and a great investment of money is, is, is a channel manager from day one. Anything else? Any other? Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can go on if you want. So give us three. So you've given us your first one. Uh, if people are not in service accommodation, what else would you suggest? They... Uh, same thing for HMOs, but obviously it's not called a channel manager. It's called a, like a tenant portfolio manager or something like that. So again, we use Arthur, Arthur online. Uh, there's loads of great pieces of software out there to so kind of shop around. Um, but it just makes central management so much easier and starting with an end in mind. So if you're going to do two properties and that's all you want to do, I probably wouldn't bother with, with a, uh, something like Arthur, but if you know you want to scale and you want 10 plus properties, you need some kind of central management tool. So getting it in from day one is a great way of um, making sure that as you scale, things stay manageable. And it can be a bit of a, can be a, bit of a financial commitment because you're like, do I really need this right now? And the answer probably is no, you don't need it right now, but it will make your growth a lot, lot easier if you have it from day one and you grow around that. Um, the next thing I'd say is, make sure that you're getting the low value tasks outsourced from day one. Don't go and clean your own houses. Um, you know, it's great workout, but <laughs> it's, it's, it's costing you money. If you clean your own house, you know, that, mm. that time, that two hours you spend hoovering the halls and cleaning the bathrooms in your HMO, you could have spent an hour of that networking and an hour of that calling, cold calling all the agents in your area to find your next deal. We actually set this, this challenge for our mentorship clients and it's called the 10 agents challenge. So if you're listening as well, you know, try, try this out because it's, uh, in fact, I think I did an article about it for you guys when an hour's work led to an extra 45 grand a year for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I remember that one. Yeah. So it's, it's called the 10 agent challenge. And all I did was the night before I sat watching game of Thrones. And while I was watching game of Thrones, I made a list of 10 agents and their phone numbers next to it. And then the next morning I was blocked out an hour and I just sat down and I cold called back to back cold called agents, introduced myself, told them what I was looking for. And then from that, I think we had like six viewings. And from those six agents that I met, um, we did four deals within the next two months. So, and that was worth about 45 grand. So Mm -hmm. a single hour's work, if a single hour's work can be worth up to 45 grand, why are you cleaning toilets when you could be paying someone 10 pounds an hour to do it? Yeah, I think some people call it the, yeah, like a a 10 pounds an hour job versus a thousand pounds an hour job. Yeah. Um, Yeah, just think... Whereas, you know, this, the task that you're doing, what value is it? Yeah, exactly. So I think that was, that was a, that was a tough one for me to learn as well. And certainly when we started out, we, I looked to do most stuff myself. And this is why I ended up working a job because I I found it hard to let go. um, Because I didn't necessarily get that whole 10 pounds an hour versus thousand pounds an hour mindset thing. So what do you say to your, your coach, you know, your mentees now when they say, yeah, but I'm just starting out and I can't afford to hire a cleaner or hire a property manager. Well, I, the first thing would be to test that because a lot of people think they can't afford something because it's a natural reaction. I can't afford it. Yeah. Can't afford mm. it. A better question to ask. And again, this is a, this is a rich dad, poor dad thing is, is how can I afford it? So, okay. So if you can't, if you don't, do you, are you telling me you don't physically have 10 pounds in your account to pay that person for an hour's work? Or are you just feeling uncomfortable because it's not as much as you want it to be? When doing service combination, you can always just sort of take it out of your net cost. So you get, okay, uh, this night cost me £90 for the channel manager, that's £20. Um, and then for the cleaner, £10. So that would give me £60 in my pocket. So if you're already getting 90 quid a night, you can afford to take just a tiny bit of that yeah. to pay for the cleaner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or another way of looking at it, is how much quick, how much more quickly are they going to get it done? So let's take setting up an HMO, for example. Um, you know, not going to lie, bit of a flat pack ninja these days because I spend <laughs> most of my time when I start my property business building flat pack furniture. Um, so I'm pretty pretty good with the old electric drill and an IKEA mound bed set. Um, bedside <laughs> table, a, rather. A website, flatpackninja.com. <laughs> <laughs> Trademark. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, a lot of people, and myself included, when I started out, are not that good at building flat packs. And I did, but I didn't want to pay a handyman, you know, fifteen to twenty quid an hour to come and build a flat pack for me. So setting up a house would probably take me five days to build all the houses, furniture, instead of a handyman who could probably do it in two days. 
Mm. Well, what's an extra three days of rent worth? You know, because I paid, you know, if I've, what is it? I don't know. Let's say, let's say it's five bedrooms at 500 pounds. Uh, five bedrooms is two and a half grand, isn't it? Divided by 30. That's 83 pounds a day that I'm earning in rent from having that property set up and run, rented out times three. Well, there, there's 250 pounds I could have earned, but because I mm. wanted to cut the costs up front and wanted to do it myself, okay, I've saved the money I would have spent on the handyman, but I've lost that 250 pounds of income. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of scenarios like that where you just kind of have to say, well, like, am I the best person for the job? Mm, I think those like sort of having those moments sort of almost come from hindsight as well. It's only mm-hmm. after you go, oh, actually, if I hadn't have spent those two days building furniture, I could have got £250. But at the time, you're sort of so engrossed in what you're doing and trying to make it work almost that you're sort of willing to just yeah. do anything. Yeah, a good, good friend of mine kind of made this really hit home for me. And it's kind of almost where I learned my lesson was when um, my wife and I were setting up a service department in London Bridge and um, it was furniture day. So we'd be, we got our zip van and we'd driven up to Ikea in Wembley, which is like hell on earth, by the way. I don't know if you've ever been there. If you have, don't go on a Saturday morning. It's literally the worst place in the world. Um, and we'd stacked up all the furniture. We'd got our sofa bed. We'd got our bedside cabinets and all of that wheeling it through kind of trying to dodge all the buggies and get get to the furniture because you know we're in a rush we've got you know time is money and we finally got back to the apartment drove through central london traffic and got back to the apartment at like eight o'clock at night uh knowing that i still had to build all this stuff and i unloaded the van and i i I got one end of this sofa and i looked up and i realized that the apartment's on the fourth floor and there's no lift (laughs) Was it I like had, a friend, like in, in Friends where they're trying to... It was literally inside. like in Friends. With a pivot. <laughs> <laughs> but my wife almost divorced me at that point. Because, um, she was on the other end of this sofa bed going up and down oh, the stairs. Oh, no. And uh, we, we, kind of, we, we, we kind of ground it out. We, we were there till about three in the morning um, building this stuff and getting it in place and um, doing wallpaper as well. I was doing wallpaper, which was looked great but it was massive ball in the uh, massive ball like but anyway at the end of it it was about three in the morning really hot summer's evening and we just kind of collapsed on the floor in the living room and we're like yeah, we're done like, this is ready yes and i was feeling quite proud of myself because i'm i'm someone who has like a bit of a hard work mindset like i gotta feel like i've earned my money i've got to feel like i've sweated for it which is again it's like another thing that i need to work on because that's 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 a that's a limiting belief um but anyway, at the time, I felt really proud. I was like, yes, we've done this. We've earned this money. We've earned, we've earned this apartment. And then I was chatting to somebody the next day, and they're like, oh, how, you know, how's, your, how's your London Bridge place going? I was like, yeah, it's finished. I like, finished it at 3 a.m. last night. He's like, how long did that take you in the end? I was like, it's about, about a week, maybe a week and a half of us kind of decorating it and doing the painting and, and getting the furniture and, and you know, re, re, re-varnishing the worktops and stuff like that. He's like, you spent a whole week doing that. I was like... Well, yeah, yeah, but it's great. You know, it looks great. And we, you know, we earned it. We earned it. We, we did the hard work. It was like, yeah, but what could you have done with that week? And I was like, well, what do you mean? He was like, well, a week's worth of time. You could have probably got another two deals in that week, couldn't you? And then that was a bit of a realization moment for me. It was like, I've, I've got to start thinking differently. You know, working hard is very admirable. And I, I, unfortunately, I still suffer from this. That I feel like if I'm not working hard, I don't deserve it. I think that's so, quite a common one as well. A lot of yeah, maybe sort of suffer with that. I know I do. I sort of I, I don't deserve a holiday unless I've like worked really really hard for it. Yeah, I, I think that's a self limiting belief that a lot of people have, mm-hmm. and I think uh, you know anybody listening just kind of recognise that yes, hard work will only get you so far. Hard work will get your business going, but hard work won't grow your business. You know, you've got the mindset becomes very different you know hard work is what got us at our first up to 10 properties but after that it was working smart getting the right people for the job that that grew us up to now we're on 55 properties it's um yeah it's you know, hard work will only serve you so far i think that's a sort of a, a good place to end the podcast i think that's like a nice rounded and great all right. We touched on lots of topics there. Yeah. So that was, yeah, we have. That was an interesting chat. <laughs>
full of um full of good little pieces of advice i think um for people who are both starting out and who might be sort of bit further on and just sort of maybe got to a bit where they might be in a bit of a rush or something and a good one to come back and listen to in the future Mm. absolutely absolutely Absolutely. we've actually got a little bit of a free giveaway for your for your listeners i was going i was about to say no have you got anything that you want to plug i've got i've got a little plug um in that we have just very recently uh started launching uh, some trial events for our training so absolutely free for ypn listeners mm-hmm. um but if you go to propertyabundance.info that's propertyabundance.info you can get your free ticket um and that will be completely free for you guys um and it's going to be a three-hour session with us so uh, it'll always be myself and my business partner sam who is a brilliant mindset and motivational coach um at these events so it'd be great to kind of meet you guys face to face um also if i can just kind of give a quick plug to uh, my instagram account so it's at yeah, Chris Peel property. Uh, also on facebook is also at chris peel property uh, and make sure that you join the property abundance community on facebook that's our community group um yeah what is involved in that property abundance info that session is it just for people who are doing service accommodation or uh, it focuses on uh, rent to rent, service accommodation and HMOs. Okay. So it's what um, we call it the Complete Property Millionaire Foundations. Uh, and it follows the four found fundamental steps that you have to take to build a successful property business. So um, it's basically the lessons I've learned over the last four years. Uh, and I've built a four step model around that, which is the you know, central thesis for any training we do is based on these four principles. Uh, and getting each of those four right is absolutely essential if you want to build and scale a business. So, yeah, so do check that out. It's propertyabundance.info and grab your free ticket there. And there's no code or anything that's needed? Uh, no, there won't be a code. We'll, well, Sam's going to sort out something on there for the, uh, for the YPN subscribers. So okay. um, yeah, if you just go to that, we'll have something on the homepage for you to click on. Great. Well, thanks for joining us, Chris. And, My pleasure. Uh, we look forward to having you back on the show soon. Yeah, all right, guys. Have a great day. I'll speak Thank to you all. You. I'm sure I'll speak to you all very soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.